From KCRW, this is Here Be Monsters. And this is our last episode of Season 7. But we'll be back soon, and we have a couple of things going on during the break. I'll tell you more about that after the show. Also, I want you to know that we talk about sexual violence against children in this episode, also suicide, and the death penalty. Hello? Hi. Hi. Why don't we start? Can I have you introduce yourself? My name is Becky Price. I was the one that got the booklet from Wesley Alanod. AP Wire, January 1st, 1993. Killer writes girl on how to foil molesters. Child killer Wesley Allen Dodd, scheduled to be hanged Tuesday in Washington State, sent a six-year-old girl a booklet he wrote on how to avoid child molesters, the child's grandmother says. The nine-page booklet arrived in November for the granddaughter of Sandra Clemens. Clemens has exchanged letters regularly with Dodd. Clemens, 48, helped her granddaughter, Becky, read the booklet. She said, quote, Becky was happy to get the book. She was excited. She was proud of it. The booklet's hand-printed text begins, quote, My name is Wes, but since you don't really know me, I am a stranger to you. I am the kind of stranger you should stay away from. It was a purple construction paper tied with pink ribbon and a pretty bow. It had about, I'd say like 10 pages in it, I believe. And then everything was handwritten and hand-drawn in the book. The booklet was called When You Meet a Stranger. I remember he, he said, if somebody tries to grab you, kick them, scream, yell at the top of your lungs, run away as fast as you can. He wanted to protect children from people like him. And who better to get that advice from than, than a child killer? Mm-hmm. I don't really know what all he did. And I really don't want to know. In 1989, Wesley Allen Dodd raped and murdered three young boys in Vancouver, Washington, a city just north of Portland. The boys were brothers Cole and William Near, ages 11 and 10, and four-year-old Lee Isley. The police caught Wesley a few weeks later at a movie theater where he had tried to abduct another child. He quickly confessed to the three murders and pled guilty. Prosecutors wanted the death penalty, even though no one had been executed in Washington since 1963. Death penalty cases are complicated, and they take a lot of time, often years, sometimes decades. Part of this is because there are a number of appeals built into the process. These appeals are designed to make sure that the courts haven't made any mistakes with the death sentence, checking for things like juror misconduct or incompetent defense lawyers. Sometimes juries take a long time to make a decision, and often anti-death penalty advocacy groups will get involved and try to stop the execution. So the death penalty takes time, a long time. In 1990, Americans spent on average about eight years on death row before their execution. And that's not what Wesley Allen Dodd wanted. Wesley's case files describe him as competent, intellectually intact, rational, and able to make sound judgments about his welfare. And that's important to know, because Wesley's case was unusual at the time. He was um, writing to my grandmother a lot, and um, they loved each other. But most of the time, it was arguments. 
because he wanted to die and she wanted him to live. She would tell us, she would say, it doesn't matter if you want to live or not. God put you here for a reason. And there's people that love you, that care about you, that's going to hurt when you're gone. Then he would tell her, I deserve to die. Wesley Allen Dodd was a volunteer. That's the term for it. He was a volunteer for his own execution, and possibly the first one ever in Washington state. He didn't want to appeal the sentence. He didn't want his attorneys to present evidence that might warrant leniency. And this asked a big legal question. Did he have the right to do that? Did he have the right to agree with prosecutors? He wrote letters to the court, antagonized his lawyers, and went on TV to argue the same thing again and again. Murderers deserve to die. He was a murderer, he deserved to die, he wanted to die, and it was his right to do so. Why do you want to be executed? Uh, I have to be. Uh, as I will kill again. I've been molesting kids nonstop since I was 13 years old, over half my life. Uh, anything happened, I can guarantee I'd do it again, and sooner or later I would kill another child. You know, right now, I sit here and say, I don't want to, but I know it'll happen. Thank you. Thank you. I wonder if next we might ask Mr. Darrell Lee, who was attorney for Wesley Allen Dodd, um, to give us some personal, professional uh, opinion on the issues of the death penalty in general. Uh, lethal injection hanging as it related to Mr. D- uh, Dodd, your experience with it? A broad forum. <laughs> I would uh, say that I've been practicing law for about 24 years. I think as a prosecutor in King County, I was much younger. Here be monsters. The podcast about... The only way I can guarantee I'm not going to hurt anybody else. The podcast about... The unknown. Uh, Are we we on the record now? Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's go. All right. Um, Why did Wesley Allen Dodd fire you? Uh, I guess you'd have to ask Wesley Allen Dodd. I don't know. I mean, I, I could speculate. My my recollection is that he was um, remorseful and ashamed of what he did. Felt that he deserved to get the death penalty. Um, or the other possibility is that he didn't want to spend the rest of his life in prison, which he undoubtedly would. People like Wesley Allen Dodd, based upon the nature of their crimes, crimes against children, sexual crimes, things like that, makes them vulnerable to assaults by other prisoners. So they have to um, check themselves into what's referred to as protective custody, but in fact is basically solitary confinement. So if Wesley Allen Dodd didn't get the death penalty, he'd probably have to spend the rest of his life in protective custody. Do you remember anything about the time you met him? We talked about the Seahawks. You're a Seahawks fan? 
was. <laughs> Gil Levy is a criminal defense attorney in Seattle. He and another lawyer represented Wesley Allen Dodd for a short time. Shortly after we were appointed, we met with the client once. After we met with him, he wrote a letter to the Washington Supreme Court asking to waive his appeal and be executed as quickly as possible. In his letter to the Supreme Court of Washington, Wesley wrote, quote, It is my desire that the appellate procedure be as short as possible and that there be no appeal filed that isn't absolutely required by law, end quote. And then a little further down in the letter, he wrote, quote, I feel my trial was very fair and that the jury made the only decision possible. He underlined the word only for emphasis. He included a note from a social worker to affirm his mental state was sound and that his decision was not coerced. Gil Levy says he was fired because he and his co-counsel didn't support Wesley's decision to waive all of his appeals. No one in Washington had done that before. And Gil told me that the courts didn't know what to do with this. It wasn't anything they'd seen before. And even though Gil had been fired, the court asked him to file an amicus brief, basically a petition to the court, where he argued it didn't matter that Wesley agreed with his death sentence. The law is bigger than just him, and the law requires thorough appeals processes. We argued at the time that he didn't have the right to waive his appeal. Why wouldn't he have his right to waive an appeal? I'm sure we argued that the death penalty is unique and different and people change their minds and we, we should give him all due process before we execute him. I mean, again, I, it's a long time ago and I don't remember what the argument was. The argument between Wesley and his former attorneys made its way to the Washington Supreme Court it was 1992, three years after Wesley had been arrested. The court appointed Wesley a new lawyer, a man named Daryl Lee. Daryl supported Wesley's desire to be executed. In a 7-2 decision, the court ruled that Wesley did, in fact, have the right to waive his remaining appeals. Wesley considered it a victory. And Daryl Lee got interviewed for the newspaper, saying, quote, He's always been firm in this. He's never wavered and he's assured me that it is not his intention to change his mind. Three months later, on January 5th, 1993, the state of Washington hanged Wesley Allen Dodd. There was a crowd of about 150 people gathered outside the penitentiary. They cheered when he was pronounced dead a few minutes after midnight. A local newspaper described the mood as jubilant, despite the cold. Anti-death penalty demonstrators were also in the crowd, though they were outnumbered three to one. And I suppose I, I do have a unique perspective since I'm the only person who witnessed the execution who also uh, spent a couple hours with Mr. Dodd before he died and got close, somewhat knowing of him over the months preceding his execution. This is Wesley's lawyer, Daryl Lee, speaking to the Washington legislature a few weeks later about the state's methods of execution. I will give my compliments to uh, Mr. Spalding and his staff. The execution was clean, swift, tasteful, as tasteful as executions can be. It was certainly efficient. It was painless. Uh, I can assure you that Mr. Dodd, if 
that's your concern, felt absolutely no pain. Some people suggest uh, or perceive that hanging is barbaric. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's good for people out in our community to have that additional thought that, you know, if I kill somebody, they're going to put a rope around my neck. Because I suspect, like most of you here, I have very mixed feelings on the death penalty. I would like its use to be as available, but extremely restricted. And if hanging is barbaric, well, let's let the jury think about that. Let's not let them think, well, we're just putting him to sleep. We're doing him a favor. execution do any good I think it would I think a few child molesters anyway are going to think twice before they do anything again how do you live with yourself daily at times it's not easy uh, like I said there's times I think about what I've done uh, I think about some of the things the boys said before they died and and that's real hard to think about um, at other times, I just try to put everything out of my mind. Do you look forward to dying? In a way, yeah. I think it'd be a relief. I don't have to think about all these things anymore. And I know that's the only way I can guarantee I'm not going to hurt anybody else. Um, it is not a, at all unusual in my experience, for a person facing the death penalty, at least at some point along the way, to say, I just want to give up. Um, but in every case where I've had somebody say that, they've changed their mind later. Jeff Ellis is a defense attorney in Portland. He represents people on death row and does anti-death penalty work. He remembers Wesley's case well because he was a young lawyer at the time and was just starting to gravitate toward capital cases. And I guess that what what bothers me the most about cases where a lawyer is completely supportive of the individual's desire to be killed by the state. I mean, it's like uh, seeing a jumper on a bridge, except the person isn't a jumper. There's a police officer ready to push the person over the bridge. And, uh, and the lawyer says, is this really what you want? Yeah, it is. Okay, go ahead and do it. You know, anytime anybody hears someone say, I, you know, I want to die, I want my life to be ended, that ought to provoke a much more in-depth inquiry and sustained conversation. And, and the, the brutalizing effect of the death penalty is oftentimes it skews that and sort of says, well, like, if he, if he said he wants it, you know, who are we to stand in the way of it? Yeah, I'm I'm so that that all makes a lot of sense to me and and I agree with it. And and then even just yesterday though, working on the story and sort of thinking about like okay, so we have this person who committed these un- unbelievable acts of violence and cruelty who a lot of the public really supported his death sentence, obviously the courts and even some of his attorneys supported his death sentence. So for him to say, look, I've thought about it, and what makes the most sense for me is that we just go 
go get this over with as soon as possible Mm -hmm. so that the families can move on. So I can't do this to anyone else again. He even said, you know, maybe this will send a message to other people who are like me, who have these urges that they might think twice. Wouldn't that be a win-win? You know, if if Dodd doesn't want to live, um, if he doesn't want to live in shame and in fear, um, if the people he's hurt don't want him to live, that also seems kind of compelling to me. Yeah. Well, but but why not why not just do that then for for anybody, no matter what crime they've committed or, or frankly they haven't committed, um, but who says, you know, look, I'm thinking about doing these things, so kill me before I do them. But he didn't just think about it. He he did it. He did those things. No, I I, I get that, but I, I guess the, the your your argument that uh, we should give over this sort of choice to a defendant, you know, where does it stop? And I've seen that intense remorse. I've seen that intense shame. I've met people, you know, sometimes hours after they've killed, um, who have that um, and who want to die to remove that feeling, Um, you know, both as reflective of I deserve to be punished for what I did, but also take this away from me, take this away this this dread, this remorse, this anguish that I feel. And I do not at all want to make light of that, but that's a human response. And it's something that I think people need to work through. You know, I'll say this. I'm, 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 I'm interested in who West Dodd might have turned out to be. And I'm interested in, you know, if he had lived, wouldn't it have been more valuable for him to give detectives, police officers, insight into his thoughts, his patterns, instead of taking those things to the grave? And and I, you know, I'm not all that interested in taking away an individual's guilt. If I do something that's wrong, I want to feel guilty about it. I don't want somebody to take that away from me. And I tell my clients, and you know, it's, it's, this is the one thing that I continually tell clients, and it sort of you know sets them back because I guess they don't hear it from other lawyers. Is you know, I'm not interested in excusing your behavior, right? You know, when somebody did a murder, it's wrong. They deserve punishment for that. I, I'm not, uh, you know, and I want them to feel guilty because that's the right human response. So you tell me that West Dodd felt guilt. And I'm telling you, that tells us something about his humanity that everybody overlooked in this desire to say, well, let's get rid of him. Wesley Allen Dodd was one of Washington's last executions. Governor Jay Inslee declared a moratorium on the death penalty in 2014, and four years later, the Washington Supreme Court ruled the death penalty unconstitutional. However, the state has a bit of a history of abolishing the death penalty and then bringing it back again later. There were 21 years between Wesley's execution and the moratorium, and in that period, the state successfully executed four more inmates. And of those four, two of them followed Wesley's lead and waived their rights to appeal. Gil Levy, Wesley's one-time defense attorney, is glad that there isn't a death penalty in Washington anymore. He doesn't like to think about Wesley's case or his role in it, 
Remember, he's the one who argued that Wesley didn't have the right to expedite his own execution. I asked him if his views had changed since he made that argument in 1992. Uh, I thought about how I was going to answer this question. Bearing in mind that I, I'm against the death penalty, so I don't think anybody should get the death penalty under any circumstances, but if somebody says, look, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in solitary confinement, uh, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in prison, prisons are terrible places, and they are, I mean, prisons aren't nice. Uh, so I think that decision is one that should be respected. core question wrapped up in all of this is, what purpose do prisons serve? Are they there to remove dangerous people from society? Are they there to rehabilitate criminals? Or are they there to exact punishment and retribution? And if you're stuck in a system expecting to wait decades before anything changes, what do you tell your lawyer? I believe that Wesley Allen Dodd was penitent. I think that's why he wrote a self-defense booklet for kids. I believe that he thought that his death would help more than it would harm. But I also think most suicidal people tell themselves the same thing, that the world is better off without them. The thing about death is, there are always people left behind. What about them? She cried for days when he died. She was, she was heartbroken. She, she stayed in bed and she cried. She would get up and... She would go to the bathroom, and she'd go right back to bed. It was like she had lost a child. Because they fought like mother and son. And my grandma's one thing all the time was when people would say, well, he killed somebody, so he has to die, or she killed somebody, so she has to die. And it says an eye for an eye in the Bible. And she'd go, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. She goes, but you know what that does? That just makes the world blind and toothless. Do you ever, do you think that your grandma and Wesley ever found each other in the afterlife? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're all just sitting around the table. She's got like 100,000 cats around her. Because that's how I know she'd want to be. I think his, the purpose for her writing to him, honestly, was to let him feel loved. Special thanks to Chelsea Oliver at the Clark County Clerk's Office and to Tim Ford for helping with research. You can see portions of Wesley Allen Dodd's case, including his handwritten letter to the court, on our website, hbmpodcast.com. Jeff and I first started looking into the story of Wesley Allen Dodd while researching a previous episode of the show, episode 60, The Predators of McNeil Island. In that episode, we explored Washington's policy of civil commitment 
basically confining sexually violent predators to an island facility indefinitely after they've served their prison sentences. You can find episode 60 in your podcast feed or on our website, which again is hbmpodcast.com. This is the end of the seventh season of the show. Jeff and I are going to be taking a few months off to produce and relax. Not necessarily in that order. We'll be back sometime in the fall, and we'll announce our return date as soon as we know it on social media. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. In the meantime, we're trying something new that we really think you'll like. We're doing an art exchange. It's kind of like Secret Santa, only it's happening in the summer, and all of the gifts will be original pieces of art. Songs, sculptures, paintings, poems, all kinds of things. Jeff and I will both be participating. I'll be making a cross-stitch, and Jeff will make... I don't know, probably something involving worms. He really likes worms. If you want to participate, sign up by June 12th at hbmpodcast.com slash arts2019. Music on this episode by The Black Spot. Here Be Monsters is distributed by KCRW. Our senior editor there is Nick White. We get additional support for freelance contributions from KCRW's independent producer project. Thanks for listening. Have a good summer. More episodes soon. Mm-hmm.